They want to put some scripture on there, and uh, I've got a lot of scripture, so they've got a, they're going to have a busy, busy morning, okay? Bible says in verse number 11, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is a book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. And this is the second death. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I'm going to preach this morning on the subject, the great white throne judgment. Let's stand and go to God in a word of prayer this morning, if you will. Pray much for me. The devil will fight this scripture and fight this message this morning, probably more than any message he's fought since I've been here preaching. And so you pray for me today. Our Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you today, God, that you've allowed me to come and be in this service this morning. Thankful for the Sunday school hour, for the singing we've heard. But God, I want to ask you today, Lord, to preach through me, just use me today. I'm nothing but a weak vessel this morning, and I just pray, God, you'd give me strength and give me wisdom. Help me, Lord, as I preach today. I pray that you'd speak to people that are present in the audience this morning, those that are online listening. I pray, God, if somebody's not saved, God, that you'll speak to their heart today. This may be the last message they'll ever hear. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you'd use this message to touch people's hearts, convict them of their sins. I pray, God, we that are saved, it'll, it'll stir us up, God, and help us to realize that we've got family members and friends and, and acquaintances and neighbors and people we work with and for that need to be saved. God, help us to come to you in prayer, get a, heart, a burdened heart for those that are lost. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to interrupt your preaching just yeah. a second. Before Stanley starts preaching, I want to say something. I want to. Uh, I went over and he he started praying and he started praying about this or asking us to pray because the message Satan fighting the message, and the Lord just that fast convicted me about something. I want to I want to get it fixed. I, I just exactly what he's talking about, and, I, and you may not understand this, but I think you, everybody will. He's trying to change mics, and I guess and, and is having trouble. He's all hooked up. And I, and I got aggravated. Yeah. I just got aggravated. just like a shop. Yes, sir. And I just got aggravated. You know, I just I mess with the microphones. We need, you know, you know I, and I just got aggravated. And I had a bad spirit. And I want to ask the church to forgive me. Ask the crow's nest to forgive me. I don't want something hindering the spirit. And it's like God said, you don't go up there and get it right, it's going to hinder this service. And, uh, and, I, and it wasn't right. And my spirit wasn't right. Danny, I want to ask you to forgive me. And I asked church forgive well, me. That's what the devil does, though. And I just thought, but when you said that, I thought that's exactly what was happening. And it's what Michael said, seeing it from a spiritual perception. It wasn't just a microphone deal. It's about a spiritual Satan, you know, trying to hinder the service. If he can get old Reggie ticked off and aggravated and stuff, why he's done his job. So I ain't going to let him do that by God's grace. So I'm sorry, Lord, and I'm sorry to you, and I'm sorry to you. I preach now. Okay, now I can these verses I just read in, in Revelation 20, verse 11 through 15, are the verses describe the final event in all of human history. It's not a message that I think any preacher enjoys preaching because it's something that God is putting here, the last period, or the last sentence, or the last paragraph on the last page of the Word of God. 
It's the final judgment of all who die lost, never having repented, never having received Christ as their personal Savior. This scripture here is very serious. We need to give our full attention to this matter. The great white throne judgment is not easily imagined, nor is the lake of fire which follows this judgment. Art has surely failed to bring its reality to our eyes. It's not easy to preach on. This is terrible. It's awesome. The final judgment mentioned in the word of God. I take absolutely no pleasure whatsoever in even thinking about anyone being thrown alive into the lake of fire for all eternity. Also, God takes no pleasure in it either. God never made hell for people. The Bible says hell was created for the devil and his angels. And the people who end up in hell will be there because they've rejected God's way of escape by never getting saved. God doesn't send people to hell. Sin is what sends people to hell. So we must accept his salvation for sin. If we say no to God's provision for sin, then only alternative is hell. You and I as God's people cannot remain neutral. We can say here today, well, I'm saved and my name's written down in the land's book of life. We can rejoice in that. I'm glad my name's written down in heaven. I'm glad I will never have to go to this final judgment there at, at this place I'm going to preach on today. But we cannot remain neutral. God is love. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And he loves us so much that he took our hell for us. If we'll repent of those sins for which he died and receive his payment. Our God is holy God. He's a perfect God. And if we don't accept his payment for our sins, then we ourselves will have to pay for our sins throughout eternity. What we now look at is the darkest hour of human history. This is the Supreme Court of the universe. All the lost will one day be judged there. And after the verdict is read, it's final. There'll be no appeals. Now you can get an appeal at the court in this day and time. Sometimes you can even get not only an appeal, but sometimes you can, uh, you can get uh, released from prison for maybe something that the judge has done wrong or something that the attorneys have done wrong. Uh, you can get an appeal, but there'll be no appeal in this day and time. This sentence is a life-death sentence, a death row and torture chamber wrapped up in one with no end for all eternity. I realize this message is not politically correct, and some simply won't believe it because they do not believe in hell to begin with. But their argument will be with God, not with me. If I've ever preached a sermon direct from God's Word, then this is it. There are seven aspects I'm going to bring to you today from the great white throne judgment. The courtroom will be first of all, then the judge, then the accused, then the evidence, then the defense, then the verdict, and finally, there'll be the sentence. First of all, I want to look at the courtroom. In verse number 11... We say the Bible says, and I saw a great white throne. I want to stop right there. These three words represent three things. First of all, the great. The word great means it speaks of power. The loss that will stand before that throne will be overcome with the incredible sense of power, awe, and fear. People today speak flippantly about what they're going to tell God when they see him face to face. I've got news for them. They won't say a word when they stand face to face before God. They won't say anything at all when they stand before Jesus Christ, the beloved Son of God. They won't say anything. The person who never got saved will not be able to do anything but weep and tremble before the Son of God. Now their mind may go back to the time that they took His name in vain, but they won't be able to use His name in vain on this occasion. They may think of the jokes that they told or they heard about hell, but there won't be no joking on this day. They may remember the way they used to make light of hell, but the reality of what it's really like will be now begin to sink in. Hell for company and heaven for climate. Lord did prefer company to climate. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 3. Notice what it says there. 
It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Have you ever thought about falling into the hands of the living God? If you're here today or listening online and you're not saved, one of these days you're going to fall into the hands of the living God. You maybe, maybe never thought of that. I want you to think about it. Falling into the hands of the living God. Well, you're, that's going to happen. Hebrews 12, 29. For our God is a consuming fire. A consuming fire. Now, I don't know if you thought about it or not, but I've got a big old trash barrel at the house. And I'll take my trash out to that barrel and I'll throw it in there and I'll start it a fire. And I'll sit there and watch it for a little while. I'll be sure it doesn't get away from the, the trash barrel. And that fire will eventually consume the, whatever I put in there. But at the end of it, there'll be a little bit of ashes at, at the bottom of that fire. But our God is a consuming fire. I want you to think about that. You're going to be consumed by the fire of God, okay? So it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Not a living God, but the living God. Only one living God. Amen. Only one. And then, it, then also, He's going to be a consuming fire. How dare we think we're going to ever stand before God and be anything but speechless. Now notice how this judgment begins with the disposing of the earth. Verse number 11 says, earth and heaven fled away. Do you realize that everything that you've ever lived for on the earth is going to be gone forever? Everything that you put before God is gone. All of your possessions, all of that precious land that you worked all your life to pay for is going to be gone. All of that good equipment, all of that farm equipment, all of the all of the cars and all the big four-wheel drive trucks, they're going to be gone. All your possessions, all your pleasures, all your popularity, all your prestige, all your family, all your children. I mean, you took them to the lake on Sunday, but wouldn't bring them to the house of God. Think about it. All going to be gone. All disposed of. All that's left is you and God alone. And now you're going to be disposed of. All we have left is our soul. No wonder Jesus said in Mark 8 and verse number 36, if you can put that up there. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? You haven't gained the whole world. What you have gained, you've lost already. But what if you had gained the whole world? You would have lost it too. It's gone. All you've got is your soul and you're standing before God. And so the word great stands for power. And then notice the next word, white. The word white speaks of purity. This speaks of the unapproachable purity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now why is this so important? Because many on that day will stand and say, Oh God, I'm a good person. Look at my works. Look what I've done. Look what I've done. I'm a good person. I'm a good neighbor. I've been a good daddy. I've been a good mama. I've been a, I've been a good parent. The Bible says there's none good, no, not one. There's none good, no, not one. You're not good. I'm not good. But my works, hey, my works are filthy rags. I was at the two brother shop the other day. And the good brother said we spent a whole day just cleaning up the shop. And you can see that it that swept up oil and swept up trash. And that's the way our lives are. 
Our lives are nothing but oily trash, oily rags. Listen, our lives are nothing compared to God. We're not good people. We're nothing compared to His unapproachable purity. The only way you and I can be pure enough to stand before God is to be washed in the blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Isaiah 1 and verse 18 says, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They'll be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Hey, we're nothing. On our best day, we're nothing compared to God. We're, we're, we're sinful. Psalm 51 verse 7 says, Purge me with hyssop, I shall be clean. Wash me, I shall be whiter than snow. We see the power, it's great. We see the purity, it's white. Then we see the throne, that speaks of the potentate. God himself will be in charge on this day. He will call the shots that day. Today we drag his name through the mud. People speak of God, oh, we, God, who's he? I don't believe in God. Who you, what are you talking about, God? We don't believe in God. We don't want to talk about God today. But on that day, it's God who sits on the throne. The powerful, the pure, the potentate, the creator who's allowed them every breath that they ever drew. And they mock him and make fun of him. The Savior who died in their place. The Spirit that convicted their hearts time after time, urging them to repent and be saved. He's allowed them a free will to choose him, for choose him for years and years. But on that day, God sits on the throne as a mighty potentate. 1 Timothy 6, 15. Notice what it says there. In which times he shall shew who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. You'll either put him on your throne of your heart today or you'll stand before his great white throne on that day. Notice the last phrase of verse 11. There was found no place for them. It really means no place to run. No place to hide. In the Garden of Eden, Adam sinned and tried to hide behind a tree. No trees on that day. When Jonah sinned, he tried to take a boat away from it all. No transportation away on that day. No fig leaves, just the ugly nakedness of our sin being exposed. Nowhere to run, every excuse is stripped away. No friends to turn to, no family to run to, no phone to look at. Boy, you'll be in trouble, won't you? <laughs> Christmas Day, everybody's instead of visiting one another, see each other once a year, and everybody on their phone. Yeah. Is that the way your house? Probably is. You just won't admit it. Everybody on their phone. I like to take those phones. <clears throat> Stop those things in the ground. I hate those things. In case you hadn't figured that out already. It's one-on-one. -on -one. The sinner looking up at the Savior. That's what it is. The sinner versus the Savior at the great white throne. Then that's the courtroom. Now there's the judge. Notice verse number 11. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it. Who is the judge of the universe? You say it's, it's the Father. Oh no, it's not the Father. John 5, 22, For the Father judges no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. This is a sweet Savior read about in the Gospel. Remember John the Baptist? Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He's not the Lamb on that day. He's no longer the lamb. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. 
He's the Redeemer. But now, He's the Ruler. The Savior has become the Sovereign. Acts 17, 31. If you can get that up there. Because He hath appointed the day in which He will judge the world in righteousness. By that man who He hath ordained, whereof He hath given assurance unto all men, and He hath raised Him from the dead. Think about that. Some only think about him on Easter, kind of like the Easter bunny. Yo, let's go gather the Easter eggs, mommy. It's Easter. Forget about the risen Savior. They assume they're going to heaven, but we that resurrected Christ who will damn their soul to hell because they've rejected his salvation. There was a man that was drowning one day and a fisherman come by in his boat and he pulled him from the river Saved his life. A year later, he, he was in legal trouble. He was sitting there in the courtroom, and the judge walked in. And the man said, Hallelujah, am I glad to see you. And the judge looked at him and said, I know, I saved you from the river a year ago. I'm not your savior today. He said, Today I'm your judge. He said, It's a whole different ballgame. The same Jesus who begs to save you today, if you don't get saved, will one day be your judge if you reject him as Savior. There's the courtroom. There's the judge. Number three, there's the accused. Now notice there in verse number 12, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. That's the accused. Now he's talking about the big shots and the nobodies, the up-and-comers and the down-and-outers, the CEOs and the lowest employees, professors and the uneducated, the kings and the homeless, they're all accused on the day that they die lost. Right. In verse 13, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell did up the dead which were in them. <coughs> That's the second resurrection, the resurrection of the lost. The first resurrection was of the saints more than a thousand years before. In other words, this isn't about whether they're guilty or innocent. It's clear that they're all guilty. It's not a trial to see whether they go free or not. It's not about allegations. This is making clear why they're all going to hell for all eternity. They have already been in another hell awaiting the judgment. They've been in hell. The hell that now is, that the man in Luke chapter 16 died, the Bible said he died, and in hell lifted his eyes being in torments. He's still there. He's still there. Jezebel in the Old Testament, she's still in hell. Kor and his followers that went against Moses. The Bible said the earth opened up. They went alive into hell. They're still in hell. But one day, death and hell will open up. Okay? The hell today is a local jail, a holding place, or a prison that's holding the people there and someday will empty out. It's a temporary holding place, no less vile, just less permanent. So death gives up the body and hell will give up the soul. Then both soul and body are cast into the eternal lake of fire. There'll be no appeal and no parole. A governor or the president can give people parole out of prison. There'll be no appeal and no parole. Four groups will be at the great white throne judgment. Sinners. Those are the ones who hate God and don't mind speaking out. They hate the church, don't believe the Bible, and they're in your face about it. We've got a lot of them in Washington, D.C., a lot of them there. Then are the self-righteous, those who think they'll go to heaven because they lived a good life. They think that hell is for the perverts, 
They think that for thieves and murderers don't see themselves as real sinners. The Pharisee and the publican both prayed at the same altar. The Pharisee said, I'm glad I'm not like other men are. The uh, publican said, I'm a sinner, forgive me. Smote himself on your breast said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Only he got saved that day. Isaiah 64, verse 6 says, but we are all as an unclean thing. You can underline the word all there. We're all as an unclean thing. All our righteous are as filthy rags. We all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Then there's the slow deciders. They know they need to get saved. They want to get saved, and they're going to get saved someday. But they keep putting it off. The road to hell is paid with good intention, but the Bible makes it plain how important it is to deal with this immediately. Hebrews 3.15. The Bible says, While it is today, while it is said today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart, as in the provocation. And then 2 Corinthians 6.2. The Bible says, For he has said, I've heard thee in an accepted time, and in the day of salvation I've circled thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now, today, now is the day of salvation. The soul deciders need to know there's no second chance at the great white throne. Just as in Noah's day, there was years of warning and preaching that suddenly the door slammed shut and the sky began to fall. It was too late. I want you to understand something. Anybody that's listening to this message this morning, this could very well be the last sermon you ever hear. You say, preacher, trying to scare me. If I can scare you into heaven, I'd rather scare you into heaven than to lull you into hell. So it may be the last sermon you ever hear. Then there's the Sunday churchgoers. That's the ones who have their name on the church robe and on the Lamb's Book of Life. I remember one time, a lady started going to Brush Knob Church. She said, Preacher, I want you to know I got my name on six different church rolls. I said, Well, that's really something to be proud of. I said, What good is that going to do you? Well, she said, I don't know. I said, Do you know good at all? Is your name written down in heaven? She said, Well, I hope so. I said, You better know so. You see, they'll go to hell with the Bible in their hand, so to speak. The devil doesn't mind. He just soon sends somebody from hell from the church house as a whorehouse. He doesn't mind if you wear a fancy suit or a fancy dress. He doesn't care if you have an attendance pen or have an offering statement. He just doesn't want you to accept Christ for yourself. He doesn't want you to be born again. But the Bible says you must be. I suppose the only thing worse than going to hell is going to hell thinking you're going to heaven. So do you fit in one of these groups? Did you know you can, you can miss all of this I'm talking about today by coming to Christ? Coming to Him. Accepting Him as your personal Savior. Well, we're going to look at the evidence. We've got to look at the defense yet and the verdict and the sentence. Job 21.30 talks about the wicked is reserved. That the wicked is reserved to the day of destruction, they shall be brought forth to the day of wrath. Let's look at the evidence. Verse number 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. Now, what are these books? I believe there are at least three books going to be opened on that day. First of all, the books of works. A lost person is going to be judged according to their works. Lost person need to realize that God is recording your sins. On the day of judgment, nothing will remain hidden. The books will be open. Now, God is, you say, how can he do this? He's omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent. Psalms 139, verse 1 and 2. 
Now we're going to go through a lot of verses here. So you might want to write these down. The Bible says, O Lord, thou search me and know me. And verse number two, thou knowest my downsetting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Ezekiel 11, 5. The Bible said, and the spirit of the Lord fell upon me and said unto me, speak, thus saith the Lord. Thus have you said, O house of Israel, for I know the things that come into your mind, every one of them. Everything that comes into your mind, God knows. That's almost a frightening thought, isn't it? Huh? It's a frightening thought. Okay, 2 Peter 2.14. Having eyes full of adultery. That goes on with the lesson this morning. Having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin. Beguiling unstable souls, a heart that have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. Psalms 139.4. I'm getting them, them guys are working today, aren't they? For there's not a word in my tongue, but, O oh Lord, thou knowest it all together. Not a word in my tongue. God knows everything. Second Chronicles 16.9. If you can get that for me. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein thou hast done foolishly, therefore thou henceforth shalt have wars. The next one, Hebrews 4.13. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Matthew, 20, Matthew 12, 36. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. Amen. Now, he's talking about gossip, right. slander, criticism, lies, jokes, and the list can go on and on and on and on. It's frightening, isn't it? Yep. Just think about it. Now, we as God's people are not going to be at that judgment. I want you to understand that. But I think we have a responsibility. But if you're here and you're unsaved, this ought to be more frightening to you than you can almost stand. Every word and deed will be answered for. Some of us here are old enough to remember the show Candid Camera. God's camera, Candid Camera is running and he never runs out of film. He's always filming, always filming, always filming, always filming. Luke 12, 2 and 3. For there is nothing covered that, cannot, that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever you have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light. That which you have spoken in the ear in closet shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. Nothing secret, folks. Nothing hidden. Don't think you're going to get by. You're not going to get by. Every word, every deed, also every thought, Jeremiah 17, 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to the give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Matthew 15, 19. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but they even unwashed hands defileth not a man. For the lost, the first book opened is your life, the book of works. Ecclesiastes 12, 14. 
For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Romans 2.16. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. The homosexual crowd says what we do behind closed doors is nobody else's business. I've got news for them. It's God's business. And he will bring it out. If you're listening to me here or online or when you get a CD or whenever you hear this, it is God's business. He made them male and female, not man and man or woman and woman. He made them male and female. The abortionist says, and the feminist, what a woman does with her body is her business. It is not her business. It's God's business. Jennifer Lawrence and Amy Schumer, actresses in Hollywood, say women can't be free if they can't kill their babies. That tells me that they've already killed their babies. Well, you're going to stand before this very judgment if you've done that and haven't got forgiveness from God. And if you're alive, you can get forgiveness. You can get saved. But let me tell you, if you don't get saved and get right with God, you're going to stand for this judgment and you're going to pay the price. You're going to look up at the face of Almighty God or Jesus Christ and you're going to be cast into the lake of fire. And this is not some tin horn preacher telling you. This is coming from the Word of God. It's coming from the Word of God. Colleen McNichols travels 400 miles a week. She's a traveling abortionist. She goes from Missouri, Kansas, and Oklahoma, 400 miles a week, kills 60 babies a day. And she's going to pay a price. She's going to pay a price. Kamala Harris. Our illustrious vice president says, I will always fight for the right to kill babies and abortions. Well, she will. I'm sure she will. I'm sure she's telling the truth. Another actress, Jamila Jamil, says, my life matters more than an unborn human. She's going to find out that her life is not going to matter more than an unborn human. When she stands before Jesus Christ at the great white throne judgment. She's going to find out that her life is not more important than the life of an unborn child. Jane Fonda's mom had nine abortions before Jane Fonda was born. I guess she looked at Jane Fonda and couldn't stand herself because she committed suicide after that. So she's going to stand. She's in hell, she's in hell today, Jane Fonda's mama. But hell's going to empty up, the Bible says, and the grave's going to bring forth the body. And they're going to unite and they're going to stand at the great white throne judgment. And she's going to be cast into the lake of fire to burn forever and ever and ever. I'm not the judge. I'm telling you what the Bible says. Okay. If you're unsaved, you better get right with God. And you better do it today because you have no guarantee of tomorrow. Susan Collins, Republican senator from Maine has always voted along the lines with the abortionist. And she's got hell to pay also. God, God's not going to close his eyes at the abortion industry. He's not going to close his eyes and say, oh, I'm, I'm going to forget this. Don't you think he is? He's not going to close his eyes at the homosexual crowd. The sodomite bunch. 
They're going to pay the price. They're going to pay the price. Teenagers say, what I do with my body is my business. Oh, no, it's not. No, it's not. It's God's business. We're created in the image of God. The president says, what I do in my office is my business. Bill Clinton, I did not have an inappropriate relationship with that woman. Yes, you did. And you're going to stand before Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and you're going to pay the price. Unless you get right with God and get saved. The first book opened is the book of works. Thank God if you're saved, your sins are under the blood. I'm not saying there are consequences for sin here on this earth, but our sin's been judged. The second book will be the Bible. John chapter 12 and verse 48. If you've got that. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. The Bible, this Bible that I hold in my hand is a standard by which all the lost will be judged one day. Two books are now open and they stand in contrast. All have sinned, the Bible says, and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. It's a verse that, that comes to my mind. Most of us don't realize how sinful we are until we compare ourselves to the righteousness of God. And when we compare ourselves to the righteousness of God, we realize how short we come up to the Lord Jesus Christ. The lost we see from the Bible, how sinful they are, and how perfect the plan God had for them, they, and they rejected it, they will know then why justice will be served by their going to hell. God's standard of righteousness is perfection. I look at it like this. If I'm hanging from a cliff by a chain with 10 links, how many chains have to fail for me to fall? One link. And when that one link fails, I'm a goner. And that's the same way with a lost person. God's standard of righteousness is perfection. Revelation 21, 27. And there shall no wise enter into anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worth of abomination, nor make the lie, but they which are written in the land's book of life. So nobody's perfect but Christ. That's why we have to receive it from him as a gift. The first book opened is the book of works. The second book is the Bible. The third book, Revelation 20, 15. And whosoever not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's the final nail in the coffin. If you've been saved, listen to me. If you've been saved, your name is written there. And if not, then it's not been written there. So there's ultimately only one sin that will send you to hell, the sin of unbelief, the unpardonable sin of blasphemy against the Holy Ghost, rejecting the promptings of the Spirit to put your faith in Christ for salvation. If you fail to get saved, your name isn't written there, and on that day, it will be way too late. So three books tell the story. Book one says, this is your life. Book two says, here's my plan. Book three says, you didn't do anything about it. That's the evidence. Then comes the opportunity for the defense. Now look at the defense. Number five. What will be the defense? There's not any. There is no defense. There's no defense. What can you say? It's there in black and white. There's no denying the evidence. You're guilty. You say, well, I'll throw myself on the mercy of the court. Hebrews 9.27 says, at the point that a man wants to die, but after this, the judgment. Don't say anything about mercy. Don't say anything about grace. Don't say anything about salvation. You missed your chance. 
Go through the book of Revelation. See if you can find mercy. See if you can find grace. See if you can find salvation. Pastor, maybe it's there. I didn't find it. I didn't find it. If it's there, I want you to show it to me. I didn't find it. You find grace and mercy and salvation before you die. Not after you die. It's not there. I didn't find it. Maybe I missed it. I didn't find it. You're going to have to be saved before you die. Not afterwards. No purgatory. It's not in there. Catholics, it's not there. Pay all the money you want. They want all the money you got. Give it to them. If you want to give it to them, make you feel better. It's not going to get you out. The last breath that you draw is too late. But my wife drew her last breath. I knew one thing, Brother Reg. I knew she went to heaven. I was married to her for 52 years. I've heard her pray for me. I've heard her pray for her grandchildren. Heard her pray for her daughter. Heard her pray for her great-grandchildren. I've heard her pray for people here in this church that asked prayer. Had no doubt where she went. Amen. Man, I've heard her pray for Camp Joy many, many times. Wasn't no doubt where she went. I wasn't going to pay a dime to get her out of purgatory either because she didn't go there. Paul said to be absent from the body, be present with the Lord. I've grieved. God says he bottles up tears. I think he had to have a five-gallon bucket for mine. I've cried many a tear for her. But it wasn't because I didn't know where she was at. I knew exactly where she went, Brother Phil. I knew exactly where she went. And someday I'm going to meet her there. But listen, there'll be no defense. What can you say? It's in black and white. There's no denying the evidence. You're guilty. If you're at a great white throne judgment, you're guilty already. It's not, it's not whether you're guilty or not. You're already guilty or you wouldn't be there. And they're going to take you and drag you to the lake of fire. And the Bible says they're going to cast you in there. And you're going to be there forever and ever. I see no mercy there in the book of Revelation, only judgment. If you want grace, you want mercy, you want forgiveness, you want salvation, you better get it now. What's the verdict? Guilty. Matthew 25, 41. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Now I know what the liberals say, that the fire is, is just symbolic. I like to beat them with a symbolic bat. Now if you, any of you folks think that fire is symbolic, I'll run down to the store right quick and I'll get a box of matches that are symbolic. And I'll strike one. And you put your finger underneath it and hold it there. Don't you move that finger. You hold it there. And we'll see how long you hold it under that symbolic flame. I don't want you to say ouch or wow or ooh or anything. You just hold it there until the flame goes out and see how symbolic you think it really is. See what kind of a nut you are. 
It's real. Amen. The rich man said, I'm tormented in this symbolic flame. Is that what he said? Uh, no, I'm tormented in this flame. If there's a flame, there's what? Fire. Fire. Very good. You're a good class. I'm glad you understand. I'm tormented in this flame. He was burning. A kindergartner could tell you that. I'm tormented in this flame. Depart from me, ye that cursed into everlasting fire. Prepared for who? The devil and his angels. If you go to hell or, or the, if you get thrown into the lake of fire, you're going as an intruder. God didn't intend for you to go there. You went there because you would not repent of your sins and accept Christ's plan of salvation. Literal fire. Every shred of evidence in the Bible says, yes, literal fire. Liberal theologians say it's figurative. They're a bunch of nuts. Amen. I'll take my chance of standing on the word of God. Amen. When I stand before him, I'd rather he say, Danny, you took my word too literally than to say, Danny, you explained it away too easily. Right. It's literal fire. Amen. Luke 16 tells of a man who said, I'm tormented in this flame. Most Christians in this room We'll take that application. I want to say, though you won't be at the great white throne judgment is saved, this teaching can help us if we will just take it. What are you going to do to keep people out of hell? We ever one have somebody we love that's headed to that place. Each one of us have somebody we love that's headed to that place. Do you have children that have turned their back on God? Maybe they weren't saved to begin with. Maybe they just pretended to be saved. A lot of pretending going on. Did you know that? A lot of pretending going on. Maybe they weren't saved to begin with. Maybe you've got some neighbors. Need the Lord. What are you going to do about them? Maybe there's people you don't even know yet. That need the Lord. Have you witnessed to anyone lately? Have you invited anyone to church? Have you given them the truth of the Word of God? Maybe you need to send this sermon link to somebody this week. Have you thanked God that your sins have been judged at the cross? Have you thanked the Lord that your name is written in heaven? Luke 10, 20. We've seen the courtroom, the judge, the accused, the evidence, the defense, the verdict, and now the sentence. What are we going to do? We're going to walk out of here and unchanged? I've been dealing with this message for a month. I told the pastor a month ago, if God allowed me, I was going to preach this. Amen. He dealt with me and dealt with me. The devils fought it and fought it and fought it and fought it. I preach my heart to you this morning. Amen. What are we going to do with it? I've got grandkids and eight little great grandkids growing up. Are they going to end up in this place? I may not be alive to tell them. 
Oh, they know I'm a preacher. I may not live very long to tell them. I've dealt with a headache now for 42 months, day and night. How much longer am I going to live? I don't know. I lay down at night sometimes and I say, Lord, am I going to wake up here in the morning or I will wake up in heaven? I'm in the place I really don't care which. I can't even tell you what it's like having a headache for 42 months in a row, day and night. Maybe he's keeping me alive just to try to tell him about the Lord. I don't know. But folks, there's people dying and going to hell every 30 seconds. I mean, just every time the clock ticks, somebody's dying and going to hell. And, the, and hell's going to empty up. They're going to unite with their body and stand before God at this great white throne judgment. And be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. It's a frightening thought to me, and I'm saved. It's a frightening thought. So what are we going to do? I'm going to turn it over to the pastor, and he can do what he wants. If he wants to give an invitation, he can. Brother Ridge, won't you come?